taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Man, it's good to be in church. Hey, we're wrapping up a series we've called Just Jesus. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know we've been talking about sharing our faith. Uh, But even if you haven't been here, there's only two things you need to know really to get caught up to what we're talking about today. The first one is this. We believe here at Journey that, that the greatest tragedy of this world is that people don't know Jesus. That the number one problem that that plagues this world is people don't know Jesus. Here's the second problem, almost as bad. The people who know Jesus tend not to say anything about him. That that we are not very good at sharing our faith. In fact, we read a study, uh, at this point the study is probably two years old now, but it said that about 82%, that's 8 out of 10 people, would come to church if somebody just asked them. And to me, that's pretty staggering because less than one person a year meets Jesus at the average American church. That's a problem. And so really we've kind of set out to tackle what it looks like to share your faith. And if you go back, I would encourage you go back, listen to the podcast. You know, you can say Alexa play Journey Church or, or look it up on your phone or whatever. And listen to the past few weeks. Steve does a great job of talking to us about what our faith even is. What is it that we're sharing? How do we share it? When do we share it? All that type of stuff. And today we're wrapping up our final week on I think is, is maybe the most practical week. And it is how. How do we, how do we share our faith with those around us, right? Like, like I think when we talk about this, we can understand kind of ethereally and, and in theory how you know what our faith is and how to share it. But when it comes to actually talking to somebody, it's like, like how do I with words do what I want to do with the words that I say? Like that's just that's just how we get, right? Like I think there are times in our lives where we encounter similar things where we're met with maybe something we've never done before or something that seems complicated or seems confusing and like our only response is is like how? Like how though? Like like have you ever been there? I'll give you an example from my own life. About 2 years ago, my wife and I we were expecting our second, right? And so I had a a 3-year-old daughter at the time uh, and I had done everything that Google uh, could tell you to have a boy. Like, I'm just gonna be honest with you, right? Like, I wanted a son, and so I was doing all of it. I had a rabbit's foot, I had four-leaf clover shirt, like everything you could think of. And my wife and I, we went to the birth center, uh, which if you're not familiar, uh, is a little bit different than having a baby in a hospital, right? Which was weird for me, but I was like, you're having the baby, so you do whatever you want. And so we went there, first baby, it was awesome, you know, Ellie, great experience, whatever. We go back again. The weird thing about the birth center, though, is they don't do ultrasounds until 20 weeks, which is when you find out the gender, right? And so we're, you know, I'm on cloud nine because, like, I just, I got this feeling it's a boy, right? Like, I'm feeling, feeling boy today. And so we go in, and, we're, you know, we're getting ready to have the appointment. They sit us down. You know, we're nervous. And if you've ever been in an appointment like that, you know, you're like, listen, I don't care about anything else you're going to say. Like, just tell me what it is, right? Like, I already know the hell that you made it to this point. That's cool. Tell me what it is, right? And she goes, the first one's a boy. And I was like, yeah, what? <laughs> what, what do you mean? The first one. She was like, well, you know you're having twins, right? And I was like, no. 
Why are you saying it so nonchalantly? Like, it's just something that happens to people. And I remember feeling like, but how, but how though? How? how? And do I take them both home? And at the same time, both of them, like how? How? And like that, like if you've ever been there before, like I think sometimes we get that way with sharing our faith. It's like, I'm going to just tell them all this stuff. Like, like, like how am I going to, where does that come up in normal conversation? Like, how are you going? Oh, I'm filing my taxes. Hey, Jesus. And like we... We just, we don't understand how to get into that conversation. Maybe over the past few weeks as we've gone through this series, maybe you sense, maybe you've talked with a friend or a coworker or a family member and you kind of feel it, like the conversation could go in that direction if you directed it and you were like, I'm going to just take a, a hard left, Maria, right? Like, like, I just don't know how to talk about this. And today, that's what we want to do. And I want to read a verse to you that's going to explain why this is important. Jesus' very last words, right, they're, they're probably important. This is the last thing he says. is in Matthew 28, the gospel according to Matthew, the very last chapter. He says this. Read it with me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you, and be sure I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the only reason those of us who have met Jesus that we still have breath in our lungs is to do what he's called us to do, right? This isn't an option. This is what we're here for, right? And just like I couldn't just be like, okay, cool, you at the hospital maybe keep one of these babies. I'll take one. Like, no, my responsibility was to take both of them, right? On Friday when my son decides instead of taking a nap that he's going to go number two in his hand and wipe it on the walls, right? Like, like I have to deal with that. Call mom, right? No, like I have to deal with that because I'm the father and that's my, my job. And this is our job as followers of Christ. Our job is to share what we've experienced. And so we're going to have a good time in church today. Uh, I, I want to I walk you through a story in the Bible. If you have a Bible with you or if you have your phone, uh, you can open to John chapter 9, gospel according to John Chapter 9, if you text notes, you'll see on the screens, 25827, you can follow along. Uh, I have some notes here I'll be talking from. Maybe you're a visual learner. Uh, maybe you just need something in front of you to pay attention. Whatever it is, you can text that and follow along today. But I want to tell you a story, and I'm not going to read the entire passage uh, because it's like 67 verses long, and I would probably lose y'all by like the third verse, right? You'd be thinking about Vikings and eagles and all that. And so I'm going to just summarize it for you, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to hit some very important points. But please, pull it up on your phone so you know I'm not just making stuff up. And so, today we're reading the story about a man who has an encounter with Jesus. He has an encounter with Jesus and he shares this with people around him, right? It is directly applicable to what we're talking about today. And here's what's so cool about this story and what makes it so relevant for us. He's sharing what he knows and what he's experienced about Jesus with people who are anti-Jesus. Like, they don't want to hear anything about Jesus. Like, they, they hate Jesus. In fact, we're going to find out later. I'm going to explain. They want to kill Jesus. And so they, they're not big Jesus fans. And still yet, he has the boldness and, and the simplicity in his message to explain an encounter with Jesus. And that's what I want us to learn from today. And so Basically, it goes like this. Jesus, he, he's traveling. 
He travels through towns and cities. He's pretty much underground. It's a movement that can't really be tracked, but, but word spreads, and people start to hear about this man named Jesus, and he's doing all this crazy stuff. He's turning water into wine, if you were here a few weeks ago. He, he, he's healing people, and Jesus, he turns up in a town where there's a man who's born blind, and his disciples ever being the ones to ask whatever comes to their mind, right? How many of us have a friend that like they say everything they think? If you're not raising your hand, you are that friend, right? <laughs> like spoiler alert. And so that's the disciples, right? Like as soon as they think something, they ask it. And so they're walking by this guy who's blind and, and I, you just have to feel the awkwardness, right? And they're like, hey, Jesus, what did he do? And you're like, dude, you can't. You can't say that, my man. Like, he's right there. And Jesus, he answers and he teaches us something really important. He says, this man has done nothing wrong. And then the disciples go, well, did his parents do something wrong? No, 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 no. Parents didn't do anything wrong. You, and basically what he explains to us as a mini sermon is this. We live in a broken and a fallen world. It doesn't take me long to convince you that this world is not perfect. It's jacked up. The Bible says even to the point where the earth creation itself is deteriorating over time and it yearns for Jesus to come back, right? We are not in a perfect world and so bad things happen, but what he teaches us is this. It was the opportunity for God to be glorified. Just like that song that we sang earlier. He, he takes what the enemy meant for evil, but, but he turns it for good. And, and so Jesus, he heals the man. I love this story, right? What does he do? Uh, he prays over him. No, no. Jesus instead, he hocks a loogie right spits it on the ground makes some mud meanwhile you got to think what is this guy thinking because he's blind he doesn't know what's going on he just hears what is this dude doing and so rubs it on the ground makes some mud rubs it on his eyes it just keeps getting weirder right read it for yourself it's in there and then he says go to this pool the pool of Siloam and wash off and and you know by extension the trouble is this guy can't see, and so he's got to find, hey, can you, can you walk me to whatever he's talking about? i got to wash my eyes off. This dude is healing all kinds of people. Who knows? And he goes and he does it, and sure enough, the man, he's healed. And the man is presented then to the Pharisees. Those were the religious people, the pastors, the priests of that time. Keep in mind, these people don't like Jesus, right, because he is threatening their very existence, their way of living, the way that they had formed Christianity to be or at the time following God. And they don't like Jesus. And so they bring this man to the Pharisees. And the reason they needed to is because they would have been the ones to sign off to welcome him back into society as a normal citizen so that he could live the way that anyone else would live, that he could associate with anyone just as a normal person. And so they bring the man to the Pharisees the Pharisees say, tell us what happened. And he explains the situation. And the Pharisees say, you are a liar, right? And so they bring the parents in. How many know it gets real, right, when the parents get brought in? He brings the parents in and they say, tell us the truth. Was this your son who was born blind? And the parents are scared out of their minds. Because the same way that the Pharisees had the power to welcome this man back into society, they had the same power to ostracize the rest of the family. And so the parents are terrified, but they come before them because they're summoned, and they say, yes, he's our son. Everything else you got to ask him. We don't know, right? And they leave, and they call the man back in, and they say, 
We know you're lying. We know somebody paid you off. This man is a sinner after all. He's healing people on the Sabbath. You can't do anything on the Sabbath, right? And, and, and so we know he's a sinner. Tell us the truth. And I love the man's response. He says, I don't know if he's a sinner. I'm not as smart as y'all. Here's what I know. I couldn't see before, and now I can see. And I'll tell you what, there is something to be learned here for us. And I want to talk to you today about how to face the fears of faith sharing. I can't tell you how many times I practiced that specific line. Try to say that five times fast. You can't. Now you're doing it in your head. The first fear is this. I think oftentimes we think this. They're going to have questions that I don't have the answers to. Like, they're going to have questions I can't answer, right? We, we, we feel this way. Let's be honest. When, when it feels like maybe the conversation could go in that direction, when someone tells us about something difficult that they're going through, and it would be pretty easy for us to begin to move in the direction of sharing how we moved through something difficult because of our faith. Sometimes we tend to shy away because we think that they're going to have questions that we can't answer. And before we go any further this morning, I just want to do one thing together all of our campuses, our whole church, and watching online at the same time. Ready? Let's take a deep breath. I don't know about y'all, but that feels good. Let's do it one more time. Come on. And here's why I do that. Because God does not use perfect people, and hopefully we understand this. He uses willing, able, and obedient people. And so you're not always going to be able to do it perfect, but you are going to be willing I believe after this morning and here's two pieces of good news to maybe help you through this and maybe to breathe a sigh of relief the first one is this no one that has ever lived or currently lives or will live will ever be able to prove absolutely that God exists it's just not possible and let me explain to you why. And I don't want this to seem complicated, but I want to break it down for you so that we begin to understand. You and I, we are finite beings. What does that mean? It means we have a beginning. And spoiler alert, we have an end, right? You're going to die someday. And so no matter what Jeff Bezos tells you, we're going to, we're going to die one day. And, and, and God, if he is who he says he is, he's infinite. That means he has no beginning it means he has no end. The Bible says he exists outside of, outside of time and space. In fact, he created the very idea of time and space. And for us to think for a moment that as small, finite beings that we could completely understand and prove everything about God is ridiculous. Let me give you an example. I have people that I work with and friends and family members and sometimes they do things, and chances are I could explain to you their motives and why they did it. I could walk that person up to you. You could touch their face and their hair and know that they're, get, that, 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 they're, that they're there and they're real. And guess what? I don't want to worship any of them. The, 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 the Bible says that if God is who he says he is, he exists outside of our ability to understand everything about him. In fact, let me back this up with scripture. In Hebrews 11, it says that if we could prove he exists, we couldn't please him anyways. In Hebrews eleven six, it says it's impossible to please God without what? Faith. And I believe God has designed it in such a way so that there is overwhelming evidence if you'll look 
toward there being a God and the God we're talking about today, but not enough evidence concretely here on this earth so that we don't need faith. There will always be an element of faith. And here's what I want us to learn to understand and maybe practice as, as a phrase or a response. To say, man, that's a great question. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have all the answers. But I've learned over time that I don't need them all. That I have experienced God in a way that's unlike anything else. Enough that I can have faith to start. And hear me, I'm not saying that we don't have any answers. I believe that the Bible has been put there, the Bible says, for edification, to build us up, to make us stronger in our faith. And I believe over time, as you become more mature as a Christian, things just start to make sense, and they start to click, and things start to add up. And I believe that there are answers, but we don't have all the answers, and that's okay. And the second piece of good news is this. Life change is what convinces us of things as humans more than anything else anyways. Real life is more convincing than anything else. For example, if I were to tell you that they discovered that gravity doesn't exist anymore and they have a theory behind it, no matter how reliable I am, you are not going to climb on the top of the campus that you're at right now and jump off. Why? Because life taught me as a 12-year-old, when I jump off the roof of my parents' house, I have to sit in, in, on the couch for a long time, right? Because I get maimed. Like, like it, real life is still, is still there. And can I just tell you, when you begin to look different, it makes people ask questions. I'll give you a perfect example. CrossFit. Everybody just had a different thought pass through their mind, right? Somebody in their head just thought, it is the best thing to, to ever be introduced to exercise since the dumbbell, right? Like, it is, it is the best thing. And others of you went, that's dorky, right? And, like, we're all somewhere in the middle. But I'll tell you this. There's a teammate right now in Plymouth Meeting. In fact, he's probably serving there today. I served with him for years. And he told me, uh, this was maybe two months ago, he said, uh, my doctor, you know, he, he told me I might need to start taking medication, you know, I think it was cholesterol or, or something to that effect. And he said, you know, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to ever have to take medicine. I just wanted to be healthy. He said, so I joined CrossFit and over the past two months, I've lost about 45 pounds. And he looks amazing, right? Like if you're at the campus, you know who I'm talking about. He, 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 he's, he's in shape and, and, and looks great. Whatever you think about CrossFit, there's something there, right? Because he doesn't look how we used to look. And his body functions differently, differently than it used to function. And I love the man in this story. He doesn't care about giving any answers. He doesn't even try. Read with me, if you would, in John 9, verses 24 to 27. This is the second time they call him and they say, the second time they summon the man who'd been blind, give glory to God and tell the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, if he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't have all the answers to the questions you have. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. And then I think he just gets sarcastic with him. Well, why do you guys want to hear? Do you guys want to become his disciples too? And then they send him on his merry way, right? Like they don't want to have anything to do with him. And guess what? He's not worried about any of the questions they're asking 
because he's answering the underlying question. And it's the same question that our friends and our family members have beneath all of it. And it's this, does that God have the power to change lives? That's what they want to know. You want to know how I know that? Because what they think, and maybe you've thought this before, is that if I just had enough proof, if I just had enough evidence, if I could convince myself that there was no other alternative, absolutely A plus B equals C, then I could believe in him. And guess what? They desperately, desperately want to believe in him. The real question they're asking is, that same God that you think changed your life, could, could he do that for me? Can I just tell you, every time that you walk your neighbor's trash cans back, every time you bless somebody who doesn't deserve to be blessed, every time you're kind to somebody who's rude to you, every time you do things with integrity and character and honor, every time you treat your family, every time you treat your wife right, every time you show the love of Jesus to somebody, you answer that question again and again and again. There is a God who can change people. And you don't have all the answers but you have the answer to the most important question. That I used to be like this, but now I'm like this. Don't let this fear keep you from wandering in to the realm of this conversation. Don't be afraid of questions. Sometimes someone's going to ask a question and you're going to say, man, I had that same question. And here's what I began to understand about God. Other times they're going to ask you a question about something in Greek and you're going to go, I don't know. I speak English. I don't understand Greek. I don't, I don't, I don't have the answers. Ask Dr. Google. That's Google. Like, I, I don't know. But I know enough, the Bible says, faith as small as a seed. I have enough faith because of what he's done in my life. The second thing I think sometimes we tend to think when it comes to sharing our faith, what inhibits us is, is we think, they're going to think I'm weird. Let's just be real. That, that, that is where we tend to go. I'll tell you. When people ask me what I do for a living and we get to talk and I say I'm a pastor, usually that's about the end of the conversation. <laughs> oh, cool. My wife's calling me, but you're by yourself. Oh, but she's on the, I have to go. And right, and like, they just, they're done talking. And it can feel that way. But can I just read to you maybe some information that would help us to understand what normal looks like in America? Normal is 78% of people live paycheck to paycheck. And less than 10% of people expect to have enough money in retirement when they retire. Half of marriages end in divorce. 85% of people say they hate going to work every morning. Less than 5% of people get the daily recommended amount of exercise just to maintain the weight that they're at. And 17% of Americans are on long-term anxiety and depression medication. Normal ain't working. It's just not. I say, y'all go ahead and be normal. I'm going to be weird. Because weird changes the world. We, listen, we were meant to be different. Don't be afraid of that. Understand, you have something to offer them. They have nothing. They have absolutely nothing. In fact, uh, my father-in-law texted me between last experience and this one, and he said there was a story about a man and a wife, and they were close with another couple, and, and you know they had been together over the course of the years, and, and the man and the wife were Christians, and the others weren't, and they had dinner together, and they had them over to their house together, and, and they lived life together. And about 20 years later, the, the second couple came back to them and said, you'll never believe it. We started following Jesus, and we think you guys should too. And they said, we already followed Jesus. And they said, why didn't you tell us? Like, we were meant, we were meant to be different. I love it. 
This guy in the story, he don't care about being different. Read with me. John 9, verses 16 to 17. This is the first time he's in. Some of the Pharisees say, this man's not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He's doing good things on the Sabbath. How dare he, right? But others ask, how could a sinner do the things that he's doing? So they're divided, and they turn to the man. They ask him. They say, you're the one whose eyes he opened. What do you think? The man goes, the dude's a prophet. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. And that would have been significant, and that would have been very weird for that time. Because understand, prophets were understood to have been directly sent from God. They were the rock stars of the religious world. For this guy to tell the Pharisees that this dude was a prophet was significant. In fact, it was dangerous. But understand, this guy doesn't care. You know what he's thinking about? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to embrace my family, and I'm going to see them for the first time. I'm going to watch the leaves change in the fall I'm going to sit on the sand. I'm going to watch the ocean waves roll in. My life is different. I don't care if I'm weird. I don't even care what you do to me. Understand that is the faith that lives inside of you and me. There is the, 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 the faith, and it starts with us believing, and we don't have all the answers, but over time it builds, and it's matured, and it's encouraged to the point where we say, listen, I'm so confident that God can do something, and he's doing something in me, just like Bella here in Phoenixville said during worship just a moment ago. She said that God, whether or not you believe it, he's a God of constant movement, and so even though you don't feel him moving, that doesn't mean that he's not moving. He's working behind the scenes. I said it just a few moments ago. You don't understand it, but some of you even being in church, sitting in the seat that you're in is years of work that God has done to get you to this exact moment. And that is the God that we serve. And do not be fooled. Every conversation that you're given has been a result of God working behind the scenes. Let's not miss the moment. He's going to set us up again. He's going to give us another chance. And here's what else I want us to understand. We don't have to hit a home run every time. Hit a single and get them to church. God moves in these buildings. I can't explain it to you. Limerick is in the middle of a cornfield. Rortisford used to be a ladies' gym, right? You guys are sitting where treadmills used to be. Plymouth Meeting has boarded up windows, and everybody thinks we sell Kool-Aid there, right? <laughs> Montgomeryville is just on a random highway, but God, he still moves, he just does. It's not about the space. It's about who's in the space. The presence of God, he's already here at all of our campuses. I believe he's already working. He's working now. And when we leave this place, understand that same spirit goes with us. So when you have that conversation, don't shy back because you're afraid of being weird. They're desperately looking for something weird. They want something different. And when they've tried what everybody else is trying and they find it to be empty, just like you and I did, they'll know who to go to. The last one is this. We are afraid we won't know how to explain it. Like, yeah, maybe we can come to terms with we're not going to have all the answers and, and maybe we're okay uh, that, 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 that we're going to be weird. But if we're honest, like we just start to think things like, I'm no preacher. Like, I, I, I couldn't get on the stage and talk to people. Like, I, I, I'm going to mess it up. I'm not going to explain it right. I don't even fully understand what's happening in my life. All I know is I'm changed. But I don't know how to ar articulate that. And so we begin to shy back. And I think this is maybe the most critical and the most practical part of this morning. In fact, if you leave with anything, I would hope it would be this. 
And Steve has taught this for years, Pastor Steve, our, our, our pastor. And we learned it from a pastor a long time ago, but it's a very, very simple way to understand how to share our faith. And, and this story outlines it for us very well. And it's three steps, and I want you to remember these. The first one is this. Talk about who you were. Talk about who you used to be. In fact, many of the people closest to you, they probably already know it. Tell it to them anyways. And not generalize. Begin to explain them. This is the stuff that I felt. For me, I would tell you, I woke up most mornings and I would look at people, because I grew up in church, but I would look at people in the church, specifically men who led their families well and they were leaders. And I remember thinking in my head, I will never have the life that they have. I'll never be like them. I'm trapped by my own selfishness. I can't get out of it. I'll never have that life. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you were trapped in addiction. Maybe you would say, you know, my husband, my wife, we couldn't even look, our, look each other in the eyes before we met Jesus. But God, he's done something. Things are different now. You tell who you used to be. Step two, you tell how you met Jesus. You would not believe some of the stories that we have heard come through Journey Church. Ridiculous stories of how people got to church. Like, win the lottery odds. Like, how in the world did that happen? Like, I saw a Journey Church shirt at Goodwill. Advertising is advertising. What am I going to say, right? Like, that's, it just happens. And so, and that's how they got to church. And, and, and I don't know what your story is specifically, but I think oftentimes we feel inadequate to share the gospel. And can I just tell you, you are the only one qualified to share your experience with Jesus. You're the only one. The God, he loves his people, but he works. He works in each of our lives in distinct and specific ways. And I don't know your story and I don't know the things you felt and I haven't been through the things that you've been through. But guess what? Somebody else that you know, you would be surprised at how God sets this stuff up. Something you've gone through, something you're going to explain to them, you don't know it. They might even start to tear up. They're going through the same thing. And, and as being people who in the past, probably all of us were experts at pretending everything is fine, understand all the people you're close with who aren't following Jesus, they are pretending everything is fine and everything is not. The one thing you can bank on is if somebody does not have Jesus Christ, they are empty inside. It's the most surefire thing that you can, you can take to the bank. There is a void. We've been created to have fellowship with our creator. And when it is not there, we look for it in all the wrong places. Talk about how you, how you met Jesus. How did you hear about him? How did you get to church? Who invited you to church? Maybe the pastor said something and it just all of a sudden it clicked for you. And you just knew. This thing is real. I'll tell you for myself when I came to church and I heard Pastor Steve say, we exist for those not yet here. He didn't say anything else about it. He just said that. And I can't explain it. But I just, I knew that's what we're here for that's what church is for that's what I'm supposed to do it just made sense maybe there's something that you heard 
All of a sudden, it just made sense. You would be surprised how many people will hear that and things will begin to make sense for them. And maybe they would be willing at least to come to church and at least try this thing called Jesus. Talk about who you were. Talk about how you met Jesus. And finally, talk about what your life looks like now. And don't you dare for a moment tell them, it is amazing. It's perfect. People let me pull out of them in traffic. Pop music follows me around everywhere I go. It never rains. It's just everything's awesome. It rains around me, but, but not on me. Here's more likely what it will sound like. Everything's not perfect and I'm still figuring it out, but I used to be selfish and I would put nobody before myself and I think differently now. I understand that God has put me here to serve and not to be served. That I don't live the same way that I used to. I don't think the same way that I used to. Maybe for some of us, I was addicted, but I haven't touched the bottle since. That I was furious and angry all the time, and I yelled at my kids all the time. And he's beginning to develop patience inside him. You understand what it looks like? When we get to get, begin to tell people this, do you know the likelihood that they would be willing to at least come to church? And do you know how devastating it is to hear that eight out of 10 people would come to church if someone would just ask them, but less than one person in a year gets saved at the average American church? This is a problem. This is not what we were here for. Tell them who you used to be, how you met Jesus, and what your life looks like now. And can I just tell you, more often than not, maybe not right away, most likely not right away, but give it time, live your life so that it builds credibility for the gospel, and watch and see if they don't come to church. And here's what's so cool about this message. That's some of you guys here today. That's someone at all of our campuses right now. I know, watching online, be some hundreds of people this week, watching us here at a campus in Royersford. You have no idea how you ended up at that building. You didn't even know it was next to the, the, the bar right there in, in Limerick. It, it, you might, you, there's a corn maze out back, right? Like you just literally, you don't know how you ended up in church. In Plymouth meeting, maybe somebody bribed you or kidnapped you, I don't know how you ended up in church. In Montgomeryville, you were doing the escape room and you just happened to see a church. Like, I don't know how you got to church today, but it's not by accident. And some of you, you're coming because you watch somebody in your life start to look different. And you began to ask questions. And maybe you have questions here today. Maybe your question is if you could get something like what they have. And here's what you don't know. Behind the scenes, God's been working for years. And you won't know it. You might not never, ever know all the details. Maybe over time it will begin to make sense that that he's, he's always been there. He's been there in moments where you've cried and nobody else knew. He's been there in moments of tragedies. He's been beside you in moments of inexpressible joy. That he is has always been there and he's been working out a plan so that you might hear what he has to say this morning and it's not what you think he's not a disappointed parent he's not an angry or a vindictive judge 
waiting for you to come back so he can say, I told you so. Bible says that he loves us more than we would ever know. He's never left you. That, that maybe in your darkest moments you've prayed and you've thought, man, if there is a God, he don't want to have nothing to do with me. And then you don't realize he was closer, the Bible says, than a brother. And it is nothing shy of a miracle that you're in church today. That if you can hear my voice and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's not a coincidence you're in church. You were meant to sit exactly where you're sitting, next to the person that you're sitting next to, in the room that you're sitting in, hearing these words so that you might hear what God would say. And here's what it is. You ready? God, he knew that you and I would mess up. It's just like I know that at one point in my life, my son will eat an entire pack of crayons. It's not an if, but a when. And I have a contingency plan and I'm ready for it. In the same way, the Bible says that God knew that you and I would not be enough. You know, often we struggle with that, with that feeling in the pit of our stomach that we're not enough. The good news is we're not. The better news is that God is. And the Bible says that he had a backup plan. His name was Jesus. That he came to this earth some 2,000 years ago. He split time in half, by the way. And he walks this earth for 33 years and he does what you and I could never do. He lived a perfect life. And at the end of his life, his 12 best friends and his family have nothing bad to say about him. Can I just tell you, I would probably get to your second friend before I would never hear the end of it. He lives the perfect life. You and I know given a thousand lifetimes, we could never do it. And the Bible says that he's underground. He's moving. He works in the cities, but then he retreats to the suburbs, much like the suburbs we live in now. And he lives amongst normal people and he has dinner with them and he builds community with them and something starts to happen. He's changing the world one day at a time. And it says that he only does it for three years and yet now, some 2,000 years ago, we're still talking about him, right? Thousands of people crucified on Roman cross. We only talk about one. His name is Jesus. The Bible says at the end of his life that he is, he allows himself to be captured. Those Pharisees we talked about, that they set up a plot to ensue his death. And he allows himself to be captured. He knows exactly when and exactly where it's going to happen. His disciples try to defend him, right? One of the disciples cuts one of the guards' ears off, and Jesus is like, nah, man, and puts it back on. And he's like, I, 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 am, I am bound for this. This is what I was put here for. And it says that they put him on trial. He's not found guilty. In fact, the very people who are in charge of deciding his case they bring, the Bible says, a bowl of water out in front of the people and he washes his hands and he says, this man's blood is not on my hands. He's done nothing wrong. And they shout all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. Not wanting an insurrection, the Romans, they give him over and they march him to his death and he hangs on a cross. Some of his last words are, forgive him, Father, for, for they know not what they're doing. Listen, Jesus is either God or he's nuts. His very last words before he breathes his last are, Father, it is finished. That's a weird thing to say. Why is he saying that? The Bible says that three days later, 
even though his tomb is surrounded by some 200 Roman soldiers threatened by death if anything happens to that tomb because they couldn't risk an uprising. Still three days later, all the soldiers are passed out on the lawn and the stone is removed and we can't find Jesus. He's gone. And the message is this, you and I, the end of our lives should have looked like that. Ashamed, naked in our sin, for everyone to see all the things we've done wrong, all the mistakes we've made, all the things that you and I, we hope nobody ever finds out about, all the things that we've thought, that was our destiny. And it does not take me long probably to convince you that we deserved it. We've messed up. We've hurt other people. We've hurt ourselves. We made a mess of this life. We have not done it right, let alone perfect. And the message is this, that Jesus on that cross He took the wrath of God, the just and deserved wrath of God. And here's the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, that's what the gospel means. It means good news. And I'm here today to share with you at all of our campuses the good news, and it's this. That hope in Jesus, the Bible says, if I would confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that he is Lord, that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he did, that when I breathe my last I don't have to be afraid to meet a good and a perfect God because he doesn't see my shame and he doesn't see my guilt. He doesn't see the things I've done wrong. He, 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 he sees Jesus. The Bible says I hide in the shadow of his grace, that my eternity is secure and not just my eternity, but here and now he's making me someone new. That I can tell you with all honesty here on this stage, I'm not the same person I was six years ago. That God has changed me. And if you've ever asked that question and you're here at our campuses, can that God do the same thing for me? The overwhelming answer this morning, testified by every teammate at every campus, is yes. Yes, he can. And in fact, he does more often than not. And so would you this morning at all of our campuses, just out of a moment of reverence for what's going to happen here, would you close your eyes? And if you believe in Jesus, would you just begin to pray? Because here's what's happening. That there are hundreds of people just this year in 2019 that sat in a seat just like yours. They heard a message very similar today, similar to today, and the ending was exactly the same. This is who Jesus is, and we do it every single week because we want to give people the opportunity that we had been given to make Jesus our Savior. Here's my encouragement to you. You don't need all of the answers this morning. Begin to dismiss that thought. No one ever went into faith with all the answers. But instead, begin to focus on this, that God, he's been moving even now. People will often ask those of us who speak from this stage if we knew exactly what they were going through because we talked about it. And the answer is never. We don't know what's going on. That's what's called the Holy Spirit. He begins to use the words that I speak and he begins to work them out in your life. In fact, sometimes you hear things that I didn't even say up here, but God did it to encourage and build your faith because that's how he works. And you've begun to feel the Holy Spirit and you don't understand all of it. For some people, they feel just a burning in their chest. For others, 
they just it just begins to make sense they feel a clear mind clarity of thought and it's just obvious to them i need to follow jesus i don't know what it all means but i need to give my life to him if he died for me if he loves me and if that's the way back to my loving god then that's what i need to do and i'm going to make him my lord and my savior here this morning and at all of our campuses here's what we do at journey church this isn't a hard and fast rule we've just found it a very easy way of tangibly saying i want to follow jesus today and so i'm going to count to three in just a moment at all of our campuses and if you would say pastor that's me i need to follow jesus i'm going to ask you to place your hand in the air with nobody else looking around except for me and someone at all of our campuses to let me know i'm praying with you and here's why i'm going to ask you to do that because we believe just like there is a god and he sent his son jesus there is the enemy of our soul and we sang about him earlier you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good the bible says in john 10 10 that he seeks to steal kill and destroy and all the things that have been robbed from you in this life understand that that was the work of the enemy and even now he's beginning to talk you can probably hear him he says things like this you're never going to be different you're going to be the same nothing happened to you this morning i know what you did last night i know what you did last week you're the same person you couldn't ever get out of this and you're going to say no 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 on October 13, 2019, I raised my hand and the pastor said, I'll be a new creation. The old is dead and the new has come. And you're going to mark this. It's going to be your spiritual birthday. You're going to remember God began to change things for me that day. And so at all of our campuses, don't be thinking about the person next to you. Their opinion doesn't matter in eternity anyways. Begin to think about Jesus. If you would say, that's me and I need to follow Jesus today at all of our campuses. One, two, three. If that's you, just place your hand in the air and say, I need to follow Jesus this morning. I see you there. If there's anyone else, come on with boldness. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Just begin to reach out. There's two people in Royersford right now responding to the gospel. We're going to wait a moment longer. Just begin to reach out. One person in Limerick. Just begin to reach out to your Savior and say, God, I need you today. I don't have all the answers, but I know that you love me. I believe you did what you said that you did. And I'm going to begin to walk with you. Understand, he's going to begin to change you. Things are going to begin to look different now. Come on, let's celebrate with the person in Plymouth meeting right now. That's deciding to follow Jesus. Church, would you pray with me? God, we're so grateful for what just happened. I don't want to move too fast past it, God, because it's a miracle. Lord, we know right now as we're celebrating, heaven is even louder. The Bible says that the angels begin to celebrate, that all of the hosts of heaven begin to celebrate for what's happening right now because eternal decisions were made. God, I'm grateful that you use us, that you don't have to, but you choose to use, use ordinary, messed up, grace-saved people. And God, I pray as we leave this place, God, that, that ordinary life is going to take over tomorrow, and, and we're going to go back to our jobs, our nine-to-fives, and, and back to dinner with our families, and, and, and holiday plans, and all that is coming. God, I pray in the midst of it that you would give us a heightened awareness for our conversations. They are not by accident. They are not coincidence. God, that you have designed and set them up, and God, I pray you would help us not to miss them that we would have the opportunity, as we're going to say here at the end of the day, to bring them home, that we are just going to be a church that just keeps bringing people into the presence of God. It's just gonna, We're just going to keep coming and keep coming. We're going to keep bringing them in. We're going to watch their life be changed, 
God, and we're praying that the greater Philadelphia area would not be the same in 50 years because of what you're doing here. That something is happening. And God, you get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And we're just grateful we get to be a part of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And Journey Church, would you shout amen with me this morning? Come on. Let's clap together and celebrate what God has done.